Welcome to Generation Travel Radio, where we share the stories of people from a diverse range of generations and backgrounds whose lives have been enriched academically, professionally, and personally by international experiences. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Generation Travel Radio. Erin and I are here today with our guest, Jessica Schuler, who is currently a graduate student in Europe, and she'll tell us a little bit more about the program that she is participating in later on. But she also runs a company that's focused on helping people find work in Germany. So she and I have a lot of crossover and kind of some of the day-to-day things that we do. But something that's really interesting about Jessica is that she actually is from the U.S., but she started her higher education journey outside of the United States. And she's also wrapping it up outside of the United States. But there's some United States within there. So we're going to go with that first question, which is what made you to decide to pursue higher education outside of the United States and also to to have that first year be somewhere else? Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. So the backstory of how I ended up doing my graduate studies abroad, or how I even got to Europe in the first place, was when I was a junior in high school, so this is going way back, I met some exchange students at my high school and was inspired to do an exchange year myself, and I ended up in Germany. I did not speak any German before I went and just kind of learned as I went along. And that kind of sped off into a year at an international branch campus in Italy. So that's where I got my first kind of start with higher education abroad at the John Felicia Rome Center, which is run by Loyola University Chicago. And at the time, it was their first time like actually bringing over freshmen to do their first year of college abroad. And it was a very a unique experience. And it just solidified for me my interest in all things international education and kind of set the tone for the rest of my college career and even my professional career now. Now, I did realize that at the time, but I realized that I realize that now looking back on it. When I finished in Italy, I moved back to the U.S. and completed my bachelor's degree here, but I knew during that time in the U.S. that I wanted to get back to Germany and I wanted to work abroad, and that brings me to my interest in pursuing the graduate study in Europe. So while I was an undergrad in the U.S., I was able to do a lot of different work-study positions and realized that student affairs or higher education was going to be the route that I wanted to take. And I found the Marie program. I think it was my junior year of college. And the Marie program offers this really exciting opportunity to spend two years traveling while getting a joint master's degree in what's called research and innovation in higher education. So it's basically like a higher ed degree like you would see in the U.S. with a very specific international focus to it. I applied and was not accepted the first time. So I wanted to go right from the bachelor's into the master's. And that plan didn't pan out for me, which turned out to be perfectly fine because I then ended up just trying my luck for finding work in Germany. There's a bit of a backstory to that. In any case, I ended up in a role at an international office in Germany and uh, more or less achieved my goal of working abroad without the master's degree. And a couple years into that job, I decided that I wanted to try again and see if I could get the Marie um, scholarship. It's a fully funded master's program. I tried again and was accepted. And now I am currently the fourth semester of my program and going to be wrapping up here now in June or July. First of all, that's really interesting. 
kind of way of looking at things in terms of you thought like, oh, I'm going to need this master's, which I think is a misconception in the field of international education. I know I thought that as well. And you do see that on a lot of requirements for institutional positions. I ended up working in international ed without a master's as well. It doesn't hurt to have it, but it is something you don't have to have. So I, I think it's cool that you mentioned that that route still was possible for you and abroad doing it because mm-hmm. a lot of people would love to, you know, work even domestically within the U.S. in international education, think you need a master's, let alone to go abroad and have some of those positions and you manage to do it. And then this program, I had not heard of it before, to be honest. So the fact that you heard of it so young too, I think it's really cool to be able to line yourself up and then adjust your career accordingly, but still found your way back to it. So beyond just looking for those positions when you didn't get into the program initially, I am curious, did Germany, because of your past experience there, you know, make you want to go back or what was the thought process just finding the position? Was there another, another story there that brought you back to Germany for work abroad? (laughs) <laughs> so there's always a love story in there right <laughs> um, in international yeah, so ed even yes. better yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so going back to that junior year of high school that exchange student that I met is now my husband and he is from Germany and so he was actually the one who convinced me to apply for the Germany program which was also a fully funded scholarship from uh, the U.S. Congress German Bundestag and that turned out to be a really great thing so instead of heading to Spain I went to Germany and I got placed in a family about an hour hour and a half away from where he was living and that enabled us to stay together and that was definitely the other pull factor bringing me back to Germany but I would like to think that even without my husband I would have still pursued that path because I was so interested in working Working. So one of the things that I think if you're interested in, in working abroad, you need to think about is like, do you want to work in the language or do you want to work with the language? So working in the language is actually using the language on a daily basis to write emails, to have conversations, etc. And working with the language would be like traditional language teacher. And I knew I wanted to work in a position doing career counseling, international ed things, but in German. And so that really drove my goal or I, yeah, what I wanted to, to do after I graduated. I want to touch on this, uh, this romantic story. I think it's, <laughs> I, well, I, I totally agree that had that not been a component of what's happening, right? Maybe it would have looked different, but you probably would have still had a vested interest in international education and, and everything. But moving away from some of that, I'm curious to know now part of what you do outside of your degree you are also helping people. You're kind of coaching them to get jobs in Germany. And a lot of that, I imagine, is kind of pulled from your own experiences because you managed to find that job. And I think that our listeners would all be really interested in learning what that process was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing um, that I just want to make really clear is that the coaching and the systems and the structures I have in place for the people that I work with is primarily not based off of my own experience because my own experience was an incredibly privileged one in that I spoke fluent German. I had a German partner and I was very familiar with different systems and procedures that you just need to know in order to find work. So although that plays a role in what I do now with Germany Career Coach, it definitely is not the only basis or the main basis. And the main basis 
basis actually is that once I got into my role in the international office at the German university I was working at, I started in a position working with international scholars and then moved into a project management role in which I was responsible for developing an international career service specifically for helping international students integrate and, and kind of move into the German labor market. And so what I do now at Germany Career Coach is I've more or less bundled the experience from working with hundreds of students and helping them find work and internships and other opportunities in Germany and put it into a structure and a system that students and young professionals and even expats are using in order to have success finding work in Germany. So that's basically how that happened is that my professional experience led to the work that I'm doing now without that experience working and building up that international career service and without learning with and from the students. So the basis of Germany Career Coach is from the experience of learning with and from the international students that I worked with um, in building up that international career service. So the students that attended that the activities, the coachings, the workshops, the seminars, they really are the reason why today I am offering the system and the structure within Germany Career Coach to students across um, Germany in, at universities, as well as with young professionals across the globe who are trying to come to Germany to find work. So now that we've kind of understood more about what you do with Germany Career Coach and how that stemmed out of your experience, not only studying abroad and living abroad yourself, but then working in an international education office abroad and how you had a unique kind of niche in that position too. I didn't fully realize prior to you explaining it that you were actually building out that programming for students there in that project management role. So it makes a lot more sense how you were able to ascertain all of this knowledge without really having the firsthand experience yourself. But I'm curious, since you do have this understanding of career development, specifically for internationals or expats within Germany and how they can develop a career outside their first culture, in your perspective, the differences between how Germans and Americans or even maybe other cultures outside of Europe or even within Europe compared to Germany, what are the differences between career development or how we experience kind of evolving our careers in international ed or even beyond in those other careers? And how does that work with in your role as proprietor and owner of Germany Career Coach and even when you were working at the German University in your previous position? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And honestly, that's a question I get a lot, especially from the Americans that I work with. So I use this thing that I, I call it addiction versus uh, allergies. Okay. And it, I basically follow, or I try to explain the differences in work culture with this analogy. So Germans are allergic to work, right? Or allergic to ambition. Let's put it that way. And Americans are addicted to work and addicted to ambition, right? So it's a very crass way of explaining this difference, but it does kind of get the point across. So the main difference that you're seeing is that in Germany, you are trying to have your work fit to your life. And in the US, it oftentimes is the other way around. All right. And that is a completely different way of shaping what work means in your life. And that influences how career services and career de development function in Germany. So cultural fit, personality fit, company fit, all of those things are valued a lot more, I would say, especially in selection and recruitment processes than in other countries. I think there's just a heavier weight put on them. And because of that, a lot of what I have to do is 
is talking to, to people that I work with about what that means in their job search process. So it's about the quality versus the quantity. And what I mean by that is you need to find a place that actually fits to your life or where it's at least to some extent looking like it's fitting to your life. Otherwise, the company is going to wonder why you want to work there. So it's not this attitude of, oh, this person just wants a job. They'll move wherever we want them to move. German employers will be confused if you apply, if you are living in Southern Germany and you apply for a job in Northern Germany. They might be like, why would they want to move here? So, so it's thinking about that. And this life fit component really is about long-term orientation towards stability. So for the longest time in Germany, the stable positions that are these lifetime, more or less contracts were kind of the golden nugget, I guess, if you will. And basically the thing around that is that when you know that that was the case in Germany, then you know that the way German employers go about hiring people is different because if they are signing up for you for life, they want to really make sure that they're signing up with the right person, right? So the application process is a lot more detail oriented than what you're going to see in other countries, such as the US, as well as what the interview and and selection process looks like. And so a lot of these things are what I describe as like the hidden curriculum behind looking for work abroad, obviously, specifically in Germany. So people who live in the US, they grow up learning from older siblings or their parents about what it's like to find work in the US. Um, And then people who don't, don't have access to that hidden curriculum, I guess, if you will. And the same thing goes for working abroad or for working in Germany. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that people learn growing up from their families that foreigners just don't have access to, right? And those those things are are what I teach in in Germany Career Coach. I think that's so interesting. It made me think of this book I read recently, which maybe you've read, The Culture Map by Erin Meyer. No, I have not read that yet. You might enjoy that. She wrote it based on a lot of research that she's done and it's very interesting to she kind of goes over kind of broad strokes what these differences are in professional settings in different parts of the world. And she goes country by country, which obviously like there's going to be differences between regions and whatnot, but she and other people have noticed that you can still like say, okay, but typically in the United States, you know, you see X, Y, and Z. But one of the things she talks about is how there are these things like ways of communicating that are so subtly we're like brought up with it's processes and it's also like our mannerisms and whatnot. And anyway, Erin Meyer should probably give me like 10 cents because I keep naming her book. (laughs) Um, Well, I think it's like so true, right? Because a lot of people also think like, oh, the hard work is, you know, everything that happens before you get the job. But then actually the hard work happens when you're on the job. And then that hidden curriculum gets even deeper, right? And that leads to things like kind of what you talked about and differences with career development in the two countries or Germany and the rest of the world, I guess, if you will. Progression is not a huge career progression, unless you're in a larger company or in a company that for whatever reason values that, that's not something you're seeing across the, the board, right? So promotions moving up on a regular basis. I was recently working with someone who was coming from a country, or I guess you could say even kind of a cultural background in which um, they were used to moving up a salary level and a position level every two or three years. And in Germany, that just is not the case, right? We have these lifetime contracts. That's your job, right? And this is changing. This is not static uh, in any way, shape or form, but this is traditionally how it's been. And so just thinking about the application process and what it is like to find a job is too short-sighted. And so a lot of what I do also is thinking about what are those first 90 days going to look like? And what is it that you actually want out of working in Germany? Why Germany? 
why these companies here. And for a lot of people, they just want to work abroad and they think that Germany is a good option because Germans speak English. The same thing goes for a lot of Nordic countries. And it's like, well, that may be the case, but Germany is not an English speaking country. And so we need to think a little bit beyond, you know, it might be easy to find a job in Berlin is a lot of times the, the thought process there, which is also not necessarily the case. What is it that you want from working abroad? And those are really important questions to, to ask yourself so that you don't get into the situation where you do, let's say, land the job, then you have the job and you're completely unhappy. And I know that's hard for job seekers to, to imagine because like, oh no, if I have the job, then I'm going to be happy. And it's like, no, you have to ask yourself some of these hard questions ahead of time so that you know you're making a really you know stable and informed decision. Especially if you're going to move to a different country. Oh, yeah. 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 That's super interesting insight. Well, let's move on to talking more about the Marie program. I would love for you to share what your focus is right now. You're in the middle. Well, you've already written your thesis, right? So you're finishing up yes. classes. But what, what have you really been honing in on throughout this program? So I will first tell you a little bit about the Marie program and just with kind of the caveat that my Marie program looked a little bit different because it was influenced by the pandemic, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is also super unfortunate because then I like waited the five years to get into this program and then the pandemic hit, but (laughs) it still turned out to be a really great experience and I'm still over the moon that I was able to, to participate. So the Marie program is a two-year joint master's degree in which you move between at least two countries, normally three or four. In my case, we were we spent the first semester in Austria, the second in Finland, and then I was supposed to move on to an internship um, either most likely in the U.S. it was going to be, and then there's a study trip to Asia. You can choose between China and India and then finish off your degree in one of the four specialization countries. So those are Austria, Finland, Germany, and Hungary. So you're basically moving every couple of months. And during the times where you're moving, you're taking classes about higher education. So they provide you with an orientation around higher education studies, foundation courses to make sure that you also understand different systems around the world. And then you have the internship component, which is mainly in organizations that are doing research and innovation activities around higher education and the Asia study trip, because China and India are huge markets for higher education and will be in in the future. And so the point about that is to learn about those systems and also experience those countries. And then the final part of the program with the thesis, you not only have the thesis, but you also take specialization courses. And in my case, I specialize in institutional research. There's other ones available in research and innovation, leadership and management and teaching and learning. So you can really kind of focus in and hone in after you've taken those orientation and foundation courses on what it is that you want to specialize in. And so in my case, I did the research one and that turned out to be really great because I love working with data. I like stats. I like quantitative research. And with my thesis, I also really noticed that and have decided also to pivot more in that direction. The thesis and kind of my my focus in the program has been the thesis, I guess, more or less. My thesis is, is massive, but I came in knowing what I wanted to write about and knowing what I wanted to research. And my focus is on transnational education, specifically binational universities. So there is this phenomenon that countries come together to found a newly established or basically newly established university that brings together educational or like academic um, components from both countries. And in my case, I looked at the Turkish German university and did research around that and what their graduates from that university do after 
Do they go to Germany? Do they stay in Turkey? And kind of what is the impact of these binational universities? And this is also a topic that I'm hoping to continue on with forward, looking at transnational education and labor market outcomes of international education and study abroad. That is awesome. Uh, How many pages was it? Too many. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just always so curious. It's, I think it's at huge. like 240 or 250 now. I mean, it's just, it's, and it's 1.3 spacing. So it's not even ridiculous spacing. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how it got to be that big. It, it really, but well, the thing is, is that like, I, I was just going to say the topic is huge. I mean, usually you get really focused on a, on a, on a question, but that's like a really big project. Yeah. Well, and I added, no one had put it together in the way that I had yet. So it wasn't possible for me to just cite other, you know, like I couldn't, there wasn't an easy way out. I actually had to compile the information for myself. And, and that took a lot of time and obviously a lot of space as well. But in the end, I'm really happy with the final, like, I guess, publication, if you will, or the final thesis, because I think it's the accumulation of my studies in the Marie program and really also kind of sets the foundation for what I would like to move into next, which is looking towards a PhD. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you're already, what halfway there to the PhD? I already wrote the PhD, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's what, what I was thinking. But, yeah. So then, with a PhD, I'm curious. Moving on from that, what would you want to focus on? Similar things, and then from there, what would you want to do with that PhD? Because I think a lot of people don't realize how many different things you can do with a PhD, especially when it's a topic like that, that seems very specific, but actually opens up a lot of different doors. So I'd be curious to hear that from you. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. It's like, before you do a PhD, you really need to think about what you want to do with it and if you actually need it. And then also like, how are you going to build transferable skills and and abilities, I guess, more or less during that time. So I would like to continue on doing research about transnational education, international ed, labor market outcomes. So very much so this career service, international ed spectrum, I guess. I hope to pursue a career in research or even academia and continue doing doing research. Yeah, so I hope that I can um, continue on in a research-focused career, building off of what I did in the Marie program, which is very research-focused with the PhD, and then moving into roles that emphasize those skills. Do you think that you would pursue academia in the U.S.? So right now I'm trying to get back to the U.S., It's not easy. And this is also something to think about if you want to live abroad, work abroad, you really need to think about where do you want to have your, your life because transitioning between countries is not simple. And especially if you throw in a partner or some kids or other responsibilities, it can get really complicated. So definitely put some thought into that. I am trying to come back to the U.S. So I have applied for a couple of U.S. PhD programs. It'll have been, I think, seven or eight years since I had lived here full time. And honestly, during my undergrad degree, I wasn't really, I was only in the U.S. for about two and a half years of that because I was mainly studying abroad or doing internships and work abroad. So it'll be kind of my first full-time experience back in the U.S. in, in a decade. So it's a very exciting time for us. The last time you were both really full-time in the U.S. was as kind of adolescent 
you know, students. <laughs> uh, and so to change, it really is a drastic change that uh, specifically Americans go through in that time period in our lives. But in general, everywhere, that is a pretty large gap and therefore big change can occur for most people. So I'm sure it will be culture shock in a way of both coming to the U.S. and being back with culture shock of like, what is this environment in the career aspect and, and balancing that into the different, like you mentioned, the different ways we as Americans look at careers and that's our life. You know, we live to work and not not work to live, uh, which is an unfortunate perspective we have. But I think in academia, it's a little different as well. So maybe maybe you'll get both best of both worlds in that respect. Oh, we'll see. They have a they have a culture of overwork as well. So who knows? But yeah, it does yeah. feel moving back to the U.S. It feels a little bit like I'm experiencing that kind of that like oh I've left co- like that first kind of step into adulthood is like what I'm experiencing again coming back to the U.S. because so much of everything is different. Not only in the career realm, but also with finances, finding housing, um, transportation. I don't have to have a car in Germany. I have to have one here, or at least where I've targeted for PhDs, things like that. It's really, it's a monster of a move, right? It's, it's much mm-hmm. different than, you know, picking up from Chicago and moving to New York or something. I am personally, I've been surprised at like how many moving parts you really have to think about. And that has encouraged me to think about what I want to be doing after the PhD, because I think moving back and forth between Germany and the US, while that is possible, is not something that's entirely doable every five years. Those are really big, long, hard decisions that make me afraid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know there's there, I know people who've moved, like Americans who've made the move to Europe and have a really hard time. They want to come back to the US for whatever mm. reasons. And they can't, they can't seem to make that transition back. And that's, there are a multitude of reasons for that. One of them is, um, I've heard a lot about like job titles, European companies use different job titles than Americans do, American ones do, and that can impact, you know, what is the, what is the parallel crossover Uh, recruiting? Sometimes companies are just not interested in recruiting people from abroad who are currently abroad because they know that that move is going to take a while and that there's going to be a lot of hurdles with that. So living abroad and working abroad can be a really great experience, but it's definitely something that requires, like I said earlier, a lot of thought about like, what is it that you want to experience? And it does does make you have to think long-term. Yeah. And I think especially like the networking component is what I, I think about in terms of trying to get back into a space. You have to mean, you have to either maintain your networks or you put a lot of effort into making new connections. Mm-hmm. Well, and even like, if yeah. we're thinking about international ed, the conversations that are happening around international ed in Europe are different than the ones that you're having here in the US. And so all of a sudden injecting yourself in that conversation is not an easy beat. And so that is an added layer as well. So EAIE in Europe looks much different than NASFA in the US. And so that's also something that I think is underestimated. Mm, that's a really good point. Well, I'm curious, and maybe we've already expounded upon this enough, but you attended a workshop that I also attended, but about six months prior, and it was through State University, New York, Albany. But they had these great little workshops, and uh, Karen Fisher was the one to lead this uh, communicating international education. So I imagine what you did in that piece was not turn in, you know, your 240-page practically dissertation to Karen Fisher, (laughs) Um, but instead condensed an article. And I'm curious to know is what was kind of the thing you narrowed in on for that? Maybe it was 30 pages, maybe it was 10, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You won't believe it, but it was only two. (laughs) 
Um, so first of all, <laughs> shout out to Karen Fisher. That course was excellent. Um, communicating international education at uh, SUNY Albany. I definitely can recommend that course. I'm sure you can as well. And for it, I had already known that I wanted to write about a specific thing about Turkish higher education. So I used a draft of what I was working on to, to kind of refine during that course. And my interest in Turkish higher education has been there since I participated in a critical language scholarship my senior year of college in which I spent a summer in Ankara learning Turkish. And after that also had further grants opportunities from the State Department to continue learning Turkish. So I now speak intermediate level Turkish and my academic interests are also very centered around Turkish higher education, hence the thesis about the Turkish German University. And in Karen's class, I worked on a piece that more or less had three components talking about what is unique and insightful about some of the measures that are being taken in Turkey to increase access and equity in education to rural parts of the country, to areas of the country where you have very conservative um, cultures where women are not seen as potential university students, right? Or even just in areas where there's a lot of economic um, disadvantage. And I think a lot of what I'm interested in doing with my research is shedding light on countries and initiatives around the world that are in international education specifically, that are doing things that are expanding this access and making international education a more equal and more robust base for differing communities of people. And in that piece, I talked about three different initiatives, more or less. Now, for context, Turkey is experiencing some issues right now with institutional autonomy. So in the U.S., universities are able to decide who works as, for example, a university president or provost or something like that that's decided on an institutional level. In Turkey, those are appointments and they're um, very centralized decisions. And there's been a lot of conversations in the public and protests around institutional autonomy. Of course, there are always things to criticize, but I I think countries like Turkey are really leading the way. And we can see that in, for example, the UNESCO numbers, where Turkey is now one of the top 10 countries bringing in international students. So they definitely are an up and coming destination. And they are not only expanding access within the country, but also to students from countries where where the higher education systems are not as developed as they are in other areas. That's really unique and really ties in why then you have done this binational university study with the Turkish German university. As you mentioned, it, it makes a lot more sense now to me as somebody who didn't know that you had written this article and the focus on it and or also your experience doing a critical language scholarship, which I think a lot of people, I have looked into those for many years. And we've had a few different list people who have been on the podcast uh, recently who have participated in similar experiences and have been beneficiaries of the different State Department scholarships. But I'm curious, you mentioned kind of what your goals were in this article, but then more importantly, overall, and why you have interest in this research. So to kind of sum it all up for us, would you consider that your personal mission? Or if, if that is part of it, could you expand upon it or let us know overall what that is and kind of how you would describe yourself personally, professionally, and in general to our audience so they can get a good understanding of you beyond the research and your very unique international experiences that you've had? I'm just not sure if I have necessarily a like one personal mission. I think one of the things that strings together everything I do is that I want to always be connecting people to opportunities that push them forward. 
And this is something that comes out more in, in personal pursuits and endeavors that I have than it necessarily does in my professional life. And I think I've become a bit German in that way is that I really try to separate those two areas of my life. It's not possible, especially not now during the pandemic, <laughs> but I would say like my personal mission really has much more to do with how can I be a connector for people? For example, with things like how can I connect people to jobs or opportunities that really can change their life, but also maybe other kind of, I guess, not lower level, but lower or like maybe not a job, but something on a more basic level that moves the needle to the next step, right? So connecting people to opportunities, I would say is definitely my, my personal mission. And when it comes to the professional realm, I think what I said about access and equity is something that I'm really passionate about, especially when it comes to the spectrum of rural and transnational education. So my interest is in how do we connect or how do we kind of draw connections between those two spectrums and what can those two ends of the spectrum learn from each other. So going from very rural areas to this transnational education, I think that there's a lot that can be feeding back into each other and that can really help us understand how we can make higher education and international education a better, more open and inclusive place for many different people. Jessica, that was fantastic. And thank you so much for coming and joining us on the podcast. It has been so much fun to talk to you and hear about what you're doing and what your plans are. I hope that we have a lot of listeners who can think about this also from maybe a career perspective and, and thinking about if, regardless if they want to work abroad or pursue international education or something totally different. I think that what you've provided here is very valuable insight into how we can conceptualize what it is that we want and where we might be able to look for those opportunities. So thanks so much. Thank you very much. And if any of your listeners have any further questions, I'm always happy and, and available to, to answer those. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please give us a like or a rating on your favorite podcast platform. You can also join the conversation on our website listed on our anchor page or in the show notes. We hope that the stories you heard today have inspired you and helped you to think about what intercultural experiences you'll seek next. We are Generation Travel Radio. Keep thinking globally. Globally.